Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hi again, and welcome to Health Bite, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things health and wellness. Today, I am super excited to introduce to you Dr. Christy Overstreet. Dr. Overstreet is a clinical sexologist, a psychotherapist, author, and consultant. And she is here to talk to us about her work and about um, all things sex and intimacy. So welcome, Christy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. So I stumbled on that a little bit, the sexologist. So let's start there. Tell us, I'm dying to know, what exactly is a sexologist? Can you believe they actually give degrees in this? I mean, <laughs> it's pretty wow. wild. <laughs> that is pretty wild. I got, I got really fortunate. There's no doubt about it. But really, clinical sexology is a study of all things related to sex and intimacy, sexuality, sexual health. And just really an overview of our connection with our sexual self. And for me, what I notice as a therapist after many years is that a lot of the individuals as well as couples and relationships I was working with are really struggling to talk about sex. And as a therapist, we don't get really training on sex. We're actually not supposed to talk about sex um, in our therapy sessions because we're not trained in that unless you get a certification as a certified sex therapist. So with that being said, I started seeing that a lot of folks were struggling with those conversations. So I went and did extensive training. I got certified as a sex therapist then completed my doctorate in clinical sexology. So any given day, any hour, I can be talking about some type of sex and relationship and intimacy issues. So I stay pretty uh, How fun for you, right? <laughs> yeah. How fun for you. So it's interesting. I, I wasn't aware that therapists were not allowed to kind of uh, segue in that realm. Um, but it kind of speaks to maybe the, the taboo around sex and the fact that we're not having these conversations. And this is something that you talk about pretty widely, the fact that we need to bring in this conversation, particularly with our partners, and we're not doing so. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And yeah, therapists can talk about it. They just can't say that they're giving sex therapy or sex counseling. And so that's some of the difference because I hope all therapists, like you said, can have some type of conversation around it. But a lot of times as therapists, we're, you know, humans too. Like we have our own stuff that might get into it, which is why getting someone trained and certified is so important. But absolutely, we have to have these conversations in our relationship and they can be really difficult to have for a lot of different reasons. You know, our society tells us we're not supposed to talk about it, especially as a female. Um, you're not supposed to experience pleasure. You're supposed to not talk about the stuff that happens inside the bedroom. It stays in the bedroom or you wait until, you know, marriage or you, all these different messages that society tells us that we're supposed to be doing. We, we take those messages, we grow up with those messages. And a lot of times we have those messages as adults, even though maybe we've outgrown them or changed our perspective of them. And it makes it really difficult to have these conversations because I think too, there's a lot of expectations around sex, what we're supposed to do, not do, and what we're supposed to expect from our partners. And that can get really jumbled, especially if there are any type of relationship issues going on. Yeah. So can you talk maybe about some of the barriers um, in, in relationships and specifically in, in couples around having this conversation and, and maybe how do you obviate that? How do you get around those barriers? 
Yeah, you're right. There are so many barriers. And I think one of the biggest barriers is um, that there are struggles with trust within the relationship, meaning it can be really hard to have a conversation with our partner about something we're not enjoying, we're not experiencing, or something we want more of when we're not feeling safe and secure. And I'm not talking about like a physical safe and security, which is absolutely really important, but the emotional safety. Because if I have to talk with my partner about a sexual need I have or a struggle I'm having or something difficult going on, I'm having to be very vulnerable. I have to drop my wall and my guard. And to do that, um, if I've been hurt before by maybe a past relationship or my partner or something he may say that uh, triggers me, I can shut down and avoid having that conversation, which means I'm stuffing and stacking and stuffing and stacking what I want to talk about, but not doing it. And that becomes a very big barrier because I'm not able to speak up for my needs and he's not getting his needs met either because I'm not bringing hundred percent of myself to the relationship. Another barrier that a lot of couples face is being very time poor, meaning they don't have time to spend on intimacy, time to spend on sex, really just connecting in general. It's hard enough to, make time to cover the logistics in our house, right? From the relationship to bills, to finance and to parenting, um, maybe to family and extended family, much less making time to kind of shut everything down and actually slow down to have sex. So being time poor and filling our calendars up definitely keeps us disconnected. And I think that goes into what a lot of our expectations can be, that we expect sex is supposed to look a certain way or this is supposed to happen in a certain sequence. And if it does it, maybe we're not able to kind of get in the mood or maybe we're turned off. So being time poor is a big factor. Um, and then especially with um, COVID, that's another one, right? We've got everyone's working within the home. There, you know, a lot of families are in the home, there's kids, maybe there's parents, um, extended family in the home, and there's just not a lot of privacy and not a lot of time to be able to connect through right. sex and physical intimacy. So I like that, that you brought up um, the pandemic and at the time of this recording, we are in all in some form of partial uh, lockdown or stay-at-home order. And yes, uh, many people are working from home. And so there are, as you mentioned, logistical issues to having intimacy or, or uh, time and space for sex. But I want you to speak a little bit about the emotional impact of this pandemic. So everyone is, is experiencing some degree of fear, anxiety, sadness, grief, uh, no matter where they are in, in the spectrum. And of course that impacts our ability to have a closeness with another human, right? Absolutely. The emotional impact's huge, especially around anxiety and fear. There's a lot of concern about, um, you know, what's happening, what's happening with my job, what's happening with my partner's job, what's happening with finances, retirement planning, kids, school, planning for the future, all these different things are affecting um, our day-to-day -day lives, which makes us really focused on problem solving versus getting to like disconnect and then reconnect with our partners. The anxiety, the fear, is this going to end? Am I ever going to get my house back? Am I ever going to get the kids out of the house? Or are we going to get to go back to being a couple at some point? It's a lot of concern. I am seeing a lot of disruptions in relationships, a lot of divorces, a lot of breakups, a lot of splitting up. And one of the things that's happening around that is because a lot of couples are forced to spend so much time with each other where before there was a lot of avoidance because all right. the things, there was plenty of practices to go to and plays to attend and all the outings and the date nights. And now it's like, whoa, we're really stuck with each other. This isn't what I you know, wanted it to be. I thought it was going to be that type of thing. So a lot of 
a lot of layers are getting pulled back, unfortunately. Uh, but then there's a lot of relationships that are getting stronger through COVID and connecting in that emotional intimacy part because maybe they're not spending as much time commuting to their job, they're working from home, or maybe family who, um, you know, they're allowed to spend some time with, they're able to kind of help out and step, you know, step to them because they know the family is protecting and not, you know, getting out there. But the emotional impact is huge because when it comes to intimacy, it's directly affected the physical intimacy and the emotional intimacy. And a lot of couples don't realize that one or both partners need both. They need the emotional intimacy connection in order to get the sexual or physical intimacy connection. They go hand in hand. And so I want to touch on that, those group of people who perhaps are not having um, strife with their partner. Um, they want to connect, but these emotions, the anxiety, for example, is getting in the way. What kind of advice do you have for those couples? Or do you feel like this is trivial talk in the wake of a global pandemic? We need, we need intimacy, both emotional and physical, and physical, including sex, more than ever. We need to feel safe. We need to feel secure. We need to feel connected to one another. And that actually can help lower anxiety, lower stress when done in a connected, secure way. Those couples that do want to connect, it's important that, uh, that these couples say that, you know, they're open to, and I call it the sexual buffet. When we hear intimacy and sex, like, okay, just this is what sex is. It's penetrative sex. There's so much more than that when it comes to physical intimacy. So what a better time to say what else feels good? What else is really great besides how we define sex as being this specific thing? Let's look at a whole buffet of options versus having to look a certain way because that certain way may not be possible with everything that's going on. Right. I love that. A buffet of options. Yes. We like options. <laughs> that's right. So, um, you know, the... In, in Ayurvedic medicine, um, they actually, and you may, you probably know this as a sexologist, uh, they actually believe that sex is a pillar of health, um, like nutrition or movement and sleep. So can you speak to that? Or I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I agree with that connection with our sexual self. I believe in a whole person model and our sexual self is one of those areas, those six areas of our whole self. And being a sexual, having your sexual self may be physical sex. It may be, um, it may be masturbation. It may be pleasure in certain ways. It may be no type of touch, but be able to reach an orgasm or experience that's on a whole other level or, or, um, or space. And so absolutely it's a pillar of our health. But what happens is we hear that a lot of times, I think, and we think, oh, that means I've got to have sex with my partner, even though I'm kind of tired of that, or I'm not turned on as much, or I've got, they've got this expectation of me. But I want everyone listening to really open their mind up about their actual sexual self and not put ourselves in this box that it has to look a certain way. There are so many options out there, which makes it a pillar of health because that is doable to tap into that. So I want to go back a little bit to, um, you know, the barriers in relationships, um, because I think this is an important topic, right? It's an important conversation, because at the end of the day, the barriers are, are by definition, what's getting in the way. So how, uh, what is your recommendation or how do you, how do you get around? Well, first of all, identifying what those barriers are in your relationship, right? Um, maybe you can speak to what the most common barriers are and how you identify that. 
Sure. I, I love that you asked about that identifying first, because that's where we start. We have to start with the awareness because we can't fix something or even look at something unless we even know it's there. So the first step is that identification and looking within. And this is the whole reason I created this ideal intimacy program for that reason to say, what am I doing with myself? Where do I relate with myself, with my sexual self, with my whole self? By saying what barriers coming up, what things are blocking, uh, what things are getting in the way of me enjoying my pleasure. Because I have to look at my pleasure and know and have insight into that if I'm going to experience that with my partner. Right. We can do that together as a couple, but ultimately I'm responsible for mine and they're responsible for theirs. And so when we work on ourselves and get that insight, it's naturally going to flow and connect with our partner. It actually can help maybe motivate them to look at their stuff as well. Some common barriers or blocks that get in the way is past experiences, um, whether it happened with um, current partner or past partner, trauma, obviously, you know, our body, sure. you know, holds that's a big one. Um, and then um, just not knowing what we like or don't like, right? It's one thing to think we're supposed to know how to do this and enjoy it, but that is not the case. A majority of people, a lot of females, a majority, don't know what feels good for them because they haven't been able to give themselves that permission and maybe they haven't had the luxury to explore that in that way yet. But just not knowing and maybe serving their partner or being with their partner, not taking time to look at their own needs. And that's why when we, identify, we look at identifying it, it comes with that awareness to say, what can I do? to change within myself so that I can be my healthiest self. Therefore, it's highly likely I'm going to get a healthy relationship that way. Right. And so like everything, as you mentioned, it always starts from within. And um, hopefully by way of example, when you are doing the work on, on your own, your partner can gleam off of that um, and maybe be motivated to do the work as well. But let's talk about um, perhaps a scenario in which an individual is doing that work, right? And um, is still finding that he or she can't get the other person on board uh, to, to do the work themselves or to even have the conversation. What are some practical strategies in getting past that in relationships? Sure. So if we're working on that, we're doing the work and we want our partner to change is the nice thing, right? We have to fix ourselves and hope that that change kind of motivates them. But it's our responsibility to have those effective communications with them, right? Linda, I'm really struggling when you do this. I feel really upset or lonely when this happens. Using I statements is the easy go-to quickly to do that. But also asking your partner, I'm wondering if you want to see a change in this area. I know I do, but I can't assume that you do. Can we have a conversation around that? hey, here's what I'm working on. I realize for myself that every time when you approach me and initiate sex, I'm telling you no, but it's not you. It's actually me because of this, that, and the other. Or, you know, what I'm noticing that you, you know, really want me to initiate and I haven't been initiating. I'm really going to work on that. So if you maybe can not initiate, you're giving me the chance to step up to do that. So having the conversations is really tough and it takes a lot of vulnerability, right, to do that. But we have to remember we're in a partnership with someone that we hope is not going to hurt us in the process and we're working to not hurt them. So this is where the trust and intimacy are in tandem. When we're more trusting in our relationship and trust is at a really high point, then the intimacy and connection is going to be at a really high point. If something happens to bring um, trust down, the intimacy and connection is going down. So it helps to let our partners know, hey, intimacy and trust are in tandem. So when I'm feeling more trusting connected, I'm going to want to be more intimately connected with you. And that way it's not this abstract thing out in the world. It's more specifically tied in so the partner can better understand where you're coming from. 
And in every one of your examples, I noticed that uh, the conversation starter started with yourself. And that degree of vulnerability also allows for the other person to be engaged without a sense of blame, right? So bringing in your own feelings first as a, as a way in which to invite the other person to do the same in a you know, trusting way, as you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And the key to that is, is we can't, because I've done it, I did it for many years in many unhealthy relationships. I tried to change the other person. I had hoped they would change. I was like, oh, well, they'll change after we're together for this certain amount of time. They don't change, right? Only right. I can change. But what I notice is when I changed and put the focus on what I needed and did it in an assertive and effective way, what I started noticing was I had less time for people that wasn't serving me in my relationships and it would help me attract the people that were going to, you know, meet me where I needed to be at. And then that helped me get a healthy relationship. So it's the same thing for your listeners to say, Hey, you know, when I work on me and do what's best for me, I'm going to connect in a way that's going to be healthy for me as well. And I'm not putting my stuff on my partner. I'm letting them know what I'm working on because I can sit here and tell him all day what to do. He's not going to do it. But if I do it to make a change, he sees that. And it's the best way that we can model change, whether it's your partner or kids or anyone, right? And being that example. Well, I was going to say that, you know, we're talking about sex here, but this is really a microcosm of, of how to be in a relationship, right? With anybody yeah. for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about libido, right? Because um, so let's say we get past all of that stuff, right? And then we're still left with the fact that, again, uh, for example, in the present circumstances, uh, there are so many things that are uh, keeping us awake at night with angst. Um, and of course, that, that affects libido. So can you talk about some common, um, common uh, I don't know, squashers? I can't think of a better <laughs> word. That's a good word, yes. Some common squashers of libido. <laughs> And how do you get around them? Sure. Some common ones, obviously, is stress. That's the biggest one we're dealing with right now, right? The stress, it takes over every part of our system and body that makes us not want to connect and have that drive and want to have sex because we're so stressed out about everything else. It's hard to be in your body and present in, in the moment when your head's in a whole other place, right? Now, we could talk all day about that, but we, we probably don't have that kind of time. But the stress is definitely a big one. Um, also, hormonal changes is a big change in libido where you're having a shift in, um, in your, your state, your age, medication side effects, um, different things. Um, that definitely happens. Uh, one of the other really big ones is um, weight gain right? Mm -hmm. And lack of exercise or activity. I say activity because you don't have to go run a marathon, but you got to do some active daily or more days than not to kind of keep your body connected. And you're going to hear me a lot talk about the connectedness because we can't just be there having sex. We want to be connected to it and hopefully enjoying it. And to do that, you know, that libido has to be able to show up. Um, Another common one is after um, childbirth and you know, post-pregnancy and breastfeeding, different things change our bodies and our desires and our libido. And the, the number one place to start is to actually tune into yourself and say, kind of what's going on for my body? How would I describe this libido issue? Or what does it look like in my life? And you want to get really specific, whether you're talking to you, whether you're talking to me or another provider, you want to make sure you can describe what's happening for you and what the change has been when the last time you really experienced a higher libido and what's been going on in your life. 
And then, you know, getting checked out, getting labs drawn, looking at hormone levels, looking at activity levels, and looking at medication side effects are a couple of places to start. No, you make a, you make a really good point um, because there are uh, many medications in which low libido is a side effect. Um, but I also like the uh, practical strategies that you're offering. So um, healthy behaviors um, like movement or activity uh, directly affect libido as well, mm-hmm. as, does, as does weight gains, which is something that, um, of course, we're dealing with always, um, but in particular right now where people are home and snacking and and we're all talking about what the quarantine is doing to our habits. Um, but looking at those habits in a more global way and in how it helps you not only uh, in your health, but also in your sex drive, right? Absolutely. So what are some, I want you to kind of tell me a little bit in your experience, what are some questions that your clients bring to you or what are some concerns that you hear um, that we haven't discussed? One of the most common ones is someone will show up and they'll say, uh, my partner um, wants sex more than me, what's wrong with me? I don't want sex as much as my partner or my partner's frustrated because I'm, I'm saying no or I don't want to have sex, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I hear a lot of, I don't know what's wrong with me, I'm broken, I'm like, I'm over it. And I just want to tell everyone listening, like, it's okay. We go through different changes in our life. No one's broken. It's just figuring out what's going on for you. And is it anything you want to take a look at or not? Um, So desire discrepancies is a really big one, right? One partner maybe having a higher libido or drive than the other. And then also um, there's a lot of issue at times when it comes to a lack of emotional connection and not that it's got nothing to do with love. A couple can love each other all day, but not be showing the actions of love. And I think we miss that a lot of times is that we, we think, Oh, I love you. If I change my mind, I'd tell you, no, I need to see some actions of love. And so learning about the love languages, how those are connected, especially with physical um, intimacy. And one other thing I want to throw out there is that intimacy doesn't mean sex. And that's why you hear me a lot of times say sex and intimacy or physical intimacy or emotional intimacy. And that intimacy is a connection. So we're talking about a physical connection or an emotional connection and where that's connected with trust. Uh, So not being emotionally connected. Uh, I hear a lot of myths, right? Uh, I'll have a a guy that'll come in and say, I can't get my um, wife or my girlfriend to have an orgasm. I can't make her orgasm. I'm like, well, I mean, do you have like a present, an orgasm present you're bringing to her saying, here's your, that's not how it works. And that's not how Hollywood, the movies, that's not how things are displayed right out there and online. So really busting through a lot of sex myths is another area I spend a lot of time on that, that we each are responsible for our own orgasms. No one's responsible for that, but us. That's a very interesting way to, to pose that. Um, I haven't really thought about it in that, in that way. Um, and I, and I like what you're talking about with, uh, I, I also had never heard the term desire discrepancy. Um, but I imagine that is something that is very common and, and talking about various or the different love languages, um, and knowing what yours and your partner's is. Uh, right. So again, going back to awareness um, in that regard. Well, I wonder if there's any kind of last minute uh, tips or guidance you can give us 
um, based on what you're seeing, what you're hearing right now, um, what are some recommendations or tips that you have? Well, communication's definitely it. I know we talk about it all the time and people are tired of hearing the need for communication, but it can dissolve so many conflicts. When you just put yourself in a vulnerable spot to say, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm needing, and here's what I need from you. The other thing is asking your partner, do you need anything? Can I do anything to help? I think a lot of times we're thinking about what's in it for me just naturally. We don't think to put ourselves out there and ask them, what can I do to help you today? Can I do anything to make things easier for you? And that goes a long way. Again, we're modeling that and hoping they do that back for us. Uh, the other thing when it comes to intimacy is taking time to explore the, the buffet, right? The connection, the buffet of options out there that it doesn't have to just be sex, maybe as we defined it or see it to be. Maybe it can be some other things. Maybe it can be some touch, some pleasure, some other things besides that traditional idea of what sex looks like. Just having the conversation, because it can be hard to be vulnerable, especially if there's conflict and a bit of a disconnect within a couple. Just start taking baby steps into the conversation is the best place to start. I like how you talk about the, um, the emotional intimacy and the way in which you can engage the other partner um, with offerings, you know, you, you mentioned some offerings and in being kind in that way, it kind of evolves right to a kind of intimacy that, that may lead or hopefully will lead to the physical intimacy as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Overstreet. This was a great conversation and um, I love talking to you and hopefully we can bring you back and talk again another time soon. Thank you for having me and thanks for having this important conversation. I know how important health is to you and your audience and I really appreciate you shining a light on this topic. Pleasure.